music with me Famous scenes with drama queens and heroes Acted out there on the silver screen Come grab a seat, the popcorn is on me Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies, Noel T. Manning II here, just loving life, dang it, because it's dang awesome. Thomas Manning over to my right. How are you, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. Sunny skies outside today. <laughs> it is. Just, yeah. It's a gorgeous week, man. Every day is gorgeous when you're here on C19 TV, Meet Me at the Movies, along with Greg Tillman, especially when he's running the show. He's running the show. So good to see you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, you are the uh, station manager, according to your lower third. Uh, I don't really know what you manage, but and, and I, I haven't seen any stations around here. He manages so, to get by. That's yeah. about it, so. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, managing to get by with some surprises. <laughs> Morbius uh, in theaters. You like how I did that? I, I transitioned there. Oh, now, there are not many films that can overcome, what is it, a 17% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This was critics' ratings, early critics' ratings, 17%. But I think there's certain films that are kind of critic-proof as it relates to that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so you're going to have to speak on this film because I haven't seen it yet, but I am just aware of it. It's, it's already gained a lot of notoriety, uh, especially in some circles of film criticism. Uh, there have been a lot of great memes about it, uh, about <laughs> Jared Leto's method acting. I don't know if you heard the story about how uh, the 45-minute bathroom breaks he took. He stayed in character as uh, Dr. Morbius. Um, he had to limp to the bathroom, so sometimes it would take him 45 minutes to get to the wow. bathroom. And, um, wow. And um, the director was talking about it. He was like, well, you know, that's just his process. you got to let him do it. Wow. But, uh, wow. So, so that, that kind of gives you an yeah. idea of um, just the, the bizarreness surrounding well, the it's project. A, it's a film we've yeah. been talking about for over two years, man. For a, and for a film that was that early in the pandemic, uh, you know, it had every opportunity to get everything right. When you kept delaying, you kept, keep delaying, 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 there are some things you can do. You can go back and make, make sure things happen. Now, uh, I will say that from a money-making standpoint, you know, that 17% early um, rating on Rotten Tomatoes didn't really hurt it. Uh, the, the Marvel crowd, the Sony crowd, who's, who's bought into Spider-Man, that Spider-Man Sony universe, they're going to check this out. And so opening weekend, uh, pretty, pretty decent about what they expected globally. 84 million on opening weekend, so so not too uh, shabby there. And so I think these comic book infused films are pretty critic proof on uh, on opening weekend. But this one, no different, no different. Uh, but I will say a little background on this uh, this story. Uh, Dr. Michael Morbius, he's a scientist. He's looking for this cure for this blood disorder, and he suffers from it. So uh, he decides to take this unorthodox approach to finding the cure uh, by fusing vampire bat DNA with his own, uh, using himself as a guinea pig, as a human subject. I mean, we all try that every once in a while. <laughs> we yeah. do. Yeah. We do. And, and we've seen it in movies. We've seen it in stories. You know, original science fiction does that kind of thing where science goes wrong, where scientists have pretty good intentions, but sometimes those intentions go, go haywire. Um, some of the films that I can think about, uh, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly uh, is a great example of that. Now, of course, The Fly 
you can go back several years before Goldblum, but Goldblum was the first one that I saw uh, that did that. Also, the Spider-Man universe, the lizard, uh, did the same thing, uh, trying to find a way to develop a cure using that, that, that type of DNA. Results uh, of these medical experiments are not really what these characters hope for. Uh, you talked about Jared Leto, or is it Leto? Leto or Leto? What do you say? I say Leto, but I've uh, heard it both ways. Well, Jared, uh, <laughs> he stars as Morbius, and Matt Smith shows up in this. Matt Smith is kind of the childhood friend of, of Michael Morbius, and they both suffer from this same disorder. Uh, the first hour, I really appreciated the first hour. It was mostly focused on backstory. There were flashbacks uh, and the origin story, of course, as well. Uh, and I think it was best when this film followed the sci-fi drama. That's when it was at its best. Uh, and it was also had this, these elements of this thriller, this vampire monster thriller. Those things worked pretty well. Um, but about an hour in, it makes this goofy hair, hairpin turn, introduces the villain, who even provides a dance number. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, a dance number, much like uh, Thomas does during the intermissions of this show. And we'll maybe show some of those at some point. Um, it's part of my process, you know. <laughs> well, the film goes off the rails there, and it never regains its traction. Uh, it felt like, as I was watching it, there were two different directors. The first half and the second half, and it just left me going, what the heck is going on? Um, there were fight sequences that were really nothing but glorified visual noise, uh, reminding me of... of kind of what we saw in that last Transformers film where Michael mm. Bay directed, what was it called? The, the Last Night. The Last yeah. Night. That's what I felt like I was watching in these fight scenes. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I looked at my watch probably two or three times during that last, last hour, and that's not a good thing. I was waiting for it to end. Uh, it is a, a vampire anti-hero story, and I think a, a really solid anti-hero anti, anti vampire story. <laughs> deserves better. Uh, this character deserves a, a whole lot better as well. As we mentioned, there was plenty of time to go back and fix some of these things. You could have had some test audiences take a look at it, give you some feedback. Uh, there's no excuse uh, for the movie that we got here. Uh, I have no plans to bite into a sequel unless another director is at the helm, and I'm not going to go back and revisit this uh, as, as either, because I don't want any more song and dance numbers. So. For me, the movie gets a C minus rating. So Morbius, not quite the 17% Rotten Tomatoes, but still, man, I'm thoroughly disappointed. So basically what I'm hearing is this film would have been so much better if Nicolas Cage was playing Morbius. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And he wants to play another well, vampire. Well, we do have a Nicolas Cage a Dracula film in development. Yes. So uh, they, we'll get our wish soon enough. But, absolutely. Uh, you know, so I hope, uh, hoping that'll happen, but Morbius, uh, is in theaters now, and you know there are some people that are saying, "Well, this is part of the MCU." Well, the director doesn't even know that. He, no, no. yeah, there was yeah there was an interview with the director, and I believe uh, the journalist that was interviewing him was Mike Ryan, and uh, they he basically asked him, you know, how does this connect to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You know, how does this connect with Tom Holland Spider Man? And then there was um, an Easter egg in the film for like uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, and the director just kind of danced around the question and didn't even quite give a straight-up answer either way because I think he's just as confused as everybody is. I think Sony is confused, and I think yeah. Kevin Feige is just over there like, what is happening? Yeah, so. yeah I, I think I think if 
these spin-off films, and we've got two others, two others in the works, uh, at least two others in the works. Uh, I, I think that uh, that Kevin's got to be a, maybe a little more involved if he truly wants it to be connected uh, more cohesively. And there are uh, a couple of uh, credit scenes. There's a mid-credit, and then an, uh, well, there's a mid-credit, and then another mid-credit scene you can uh, see as well. And I will say uh, if. If you watch the trailers, uh, Michael Keaton uh, does not show up in the movie itself, but he does show up in the, in the credit scenes. So, uh, so there you go. Well, uh, Thomas, you are a big fan of metafilms, films about films. And there's a new film on Netflix called The Bubble uh, that does just, this, that, just that. Uh, Judd Apatow uh, is, is taking this uh, role of looking at a big budget sci-fi film being made during the pandemic within a bubble. That's the, the, the kind of concept of what we're looking at here. The problem is with a bubble to work, uh, the quarantine's got to stay uh, in play and the bubble's got to stay intact. So if anybody pops through the bubble, either in or out, it can cause chaos. And that kind of sets up what happens uh, in this movie. Uh, I, I thought there were moments that <laughs> Uh, true, true belly laughs. I mean, I was laughing so hard it was hurting during some of these scenes. But then there were these uh, cringeworthy moments and very disgusting situations that I was like, I'm so glad that my bride is not watching this because she would be running to the bathroom looking for Dramamine. That's how disgusting some of the wow, scenes were. Right. Um, the events really were presented in this uh, way that was satire, yeah, but almost uh, the cross between satire and parody. It straddled the line and crossed over the line and then back and forth. Um, that worked at times. Other times you, you were trying to figure out exactly where they were headed with this. Uh, I, I think um, one of the things I did appreciate though is the way the situations were presented, the way the characters reacted. Uh, I think those are the, some of the things that could happen in real life. And Judd Apatow is just kind of presenting them in a way that was exaggeration and, and that kind of worked. Uh, there were offset, offset romances that you saw. There were onset meltdowns. There were out-of-touch producers. Uh, all of these things were touched on, and Apatow really did have some fun with it. Um, the film knew what it had, um, and the problem with me, though, I found with this, is it did too much of it. It did way too much of it, uh, and uh, the film was a bit too long. Uh, it was well over two hours long. About an hour and a half it really could have worked. They threw everything, including the kitchen sink, uh, at the viewers. Uh, I, I really enjoy watching movies about movies. You and I have talked about this for so many times throughout the years that we love films about films because you can really engage and enjoy it and, and appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad I watched the movie, but overall it really was overkill. So uh, those are just some of my thoughts on this. Uh, C-plus rating, but overall I, it was lacking something. Yeah, and so uh, do you have anything to say about the cast? Because I know uh, it's pretty pretty decent ensemble. You got Pedro Pascal in there. You have a uh, Karen Gillan from Guardians of the Galaxy. You also have uh, Maria Bakalova from uh, who was nominated for an Oscar for Borat, and actually had the opportunity to speak with uh, Maria a few weeks ago for one of her films that premiered at South by Southwest. Uh, so anything about their chemistry? Uh, yeah, the, the casting really yeah. did work. Uh, David Duchovny also in this, along with uh, with Apatow family. Leslie Mann was in this, his uh, Apatow's daughter, at least one of them, uh, in this as well. So, yeah, the casting worked.
for what this was. Uh, it, it was fun to see um, how you would try to do, like imagine doing a Jurassic Park, but doing it within a bubble and doing it where you know everything has to happen. You bring back some of the old cast members that left. And, and the, uh, the concept was that this was like the sixth installment of this particular film franchise. And they brought back, uh, you mentioned Karen Gillum, brought back her character who had decided not to do number five. Mm. And so there was a little bit of, you know, bad blood with some of the cast members ha having her back. But, uh, you know, you had cast members deciding to walk off the set. And so, you know, the directors and the producers said, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just kill them. <laughs> so, you know, there were some pretty um, grotesque deaths that happened, which weren't really supposed to happen. So you're seeing this script being continuing to be written as this movie is kind of unfolding so it was fun but um, but to an extent yeah. and uh, I, I, I really I wish they had uh, I wish Apatow had kind of shortened it a bit I think it would have been much stronger for him. Yeah. One more interesting note before we head to the break here shortly uh, the same cinematographer who shot this also shot the uh, Anthony Hopkins film last year The Father which Anthony Hopkins won his Oscar for wow. so uh, you know that, that's some versatility as far as uh, cinematography goes you're shooting something like this and you know very you know close close environment film like the father so well and another thing that was uh that was interesting is you're while you're watching the film about the film <laughs> you know you're seeing green screen but then they'll transition to what a final cut would look like so you're seeing both of those things play on each other uh it was it was it was a lot of fun but a lot of fun for a short amount of time so um let's say a c plus rating for the bubble uh, that you can find on Netflix now. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back after this intermission. Thomas is going to talk to us about 35 years of The Princess Bride. And um, can you believe it? Thomas just finally saw this for the first time with, uh, with someone who talked him into it. So we're going to talk about that and more uh, right after this quick intermission. Tiny bubble. Make me happy, make me feel fine. Tiny bubbles make me warm. I would tell anybody that's interested in getting broadcasting that um, this is a really exciting field to be in. The possibilities are endless. And every day is different. Um, there's always something new. Um, you're always on your toes. It's, I think the good thing about you know a school like Cleveland Community College is they're really good at keeping up with the latest technologies. My experience um, with the broadcast program has been everything and more. I've hosted a television show here. I've done radio shows, I've made my own commercials, all kinds of exciting things, digital animation. And I've never thought I'd have a career in news that I enjoy. It's just really exciting to you know, have a career where you're in control of what two million people in the area are watching every night. It's really exciting and enriching and fulfilling work. It doesn't feel like a job. I mean, I get to hang around all day and make television. I mean, just listen to that. Now the question is, are you ready to start your journey today? As Cleveland County's premier event facility, LaGrand Center is the ideal location for any event. The LaGrand Center is located 45 minutes west of Charlotte, 45 minutes north of Spartanburg, and just a little over an hour east of Asheville. 
Whether you're a small business looking for a place for an off-site meeting or a bride looking for that special location for her wedding, LeGrand Center is the perfect place for you. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch it? Welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Man, during the break, whoo, somebody I was just doing my up. dance routine. Yeah, that's what it was. Thomas did the dance routine. I joined him, and uh, they had turned up the heat, man. They turned up the heat. Uh, 35 years ago, uh, we were introduced to the Princess Bride. Um, Thomas, you have uh, heard a lot of the bits throughout the years. You've heard a lot of the quotes. And you finally got a chance to check this out. I just don't even know, you know, who your parents are that yeah. they didn't get a chance to introduce this to you. So. Yeah, it's crazy. It uh, actually took my girlfriend to finally introduce me to it. So, <laughs> like, you know, my parents didn't introduce me to the artistic integrity or something like this. So, but 35 know. years, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's your first chance checking this out. Right, right. And uh, so mentioning the 35-year anniversary, uh, and actually there is – um, a tour event going throughout the United States this year um, with a live showing of the film and a live Q&A with Carrie Always. Kiwis? Uh, Kiwis? <laughs> Greg, Greg said Louisi? Carrie Louisi? Carrie Weezy. Okay. All right, we'll go Kiwis. with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, so, so the star is doing a tour That's across right. the U.S. Yeah, the, the, it's called Q&A. The Princess Bride, An Inconceivable Evening. And actually, uh, the closest one locally, there's one in Newton, North Carolina, uh, November 11th and November 12th of this year, uh, 2022. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that mm-hmm. as it comes because maybe we can go check it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the story is, um, you know, it's, it's more than anything, it's a, it's a love story, um, but it's also very satirical and... Um, you know, it's talking about, you know, satire and like films within films and stories within stories, connecting it to the bubble in a sense. Um, this is more about, you know, a storybook within a film. Um, and it's to a grandfather reading um, a storybook to his son and just. Um, well, uh, grandfather reading a storybook to his son or his grandson? His grandson, yeah. <laughs> you know, You're all messed up now. One man. or the other, one or the other. <laughs> and, you know. When you look at the sets, um, it's it almost looks cheap in a sense, but that it was meant to be like that. Yeah. That was very um, very intentional. It was on a sixteen million dollar budget, and it's kind of poking wow. poking fun at the you know the epic period genre or period epic genre within a, and, within a fairy tale as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I feel like I'm finally a part of the club now, yeah. going back yeah. to uh, introduce myself to something that has been you know it's been such a staple in pop culture um, and. Now I'm able to draw the connections between all these memorable quotes and uh, all these gifts that I've seen pop up. And, you know, I was familiar with a lot of these actors um, and a lot of their work and obviously directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm, it's, it's always fun to go back and just be- become part of, like, an exclusive club like that. Thomas, so when a movie is, uh, is this, when this, a movie predates you, yeah. You know, 35 years ago, you were not allowed. You were not alive 35 years ago. But when a film predates you, it's either going to be a hit or a miss because there's so much built up. So for you, this worked. Yeah, and I think I actually remember watching a few bits and pieces of this movie when I was like five or six, and I remember it, you know, through the eyes of a five or six-year-old, um, being a lot more, a lot more self-serious and a lot more um, grand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I guess that's almost like um, looking at it through the eyes of. The little boy who the story was being told yeah, to. Okay. So, so now okay. going going back, you know, 17 years later, and yeah. finally watching it in full, it's like, 
really cool to see just how much I've grown uh, yeah. as far as my perception of movies and storytelling and uh, kind of to see um, my journey with you know, Fred Savage, that's, that's yeah. his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what, is your, what was your favorite part of this? Let's see, uh, really big fan of the, uh, the castle break-in when you okay. have uh, the giant who they set, him on, the giant. set yeah. him on fire and yeah. uh, wheel him in on a wheelbarrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I get into this building pretty much every time I come to visit. <laughs> yeah. Thomas sets me on fire, pushes me in a wheelbarrow, people open the door. It's, it's crazy. So what is your rating for The Prince's Bride 35 years later? i got to give a solid yeah. A to The Prince's Bride. Solid so, A for yeah. The Prince's Bride. You can find that wherever you want to and check out. All right. Well, let me give you a quick, uh, quick review of uh, another film that you can find on Netflix. Uh, this is called Return to Space. It's a documentary. I teased this last week. Uh, brought to you by the same Oscar winners uh, who brought us Free Solo and also The Rescue. Uh, the documentary it really offers an engaging look and if you love NASA, if you love space travel, not sci-fi, but if you like real space travel, uh, this gives you a, a true inside look at NASA and also SpaceX. Uh, we explore the good, the bad, and the ugly of a two decades journey of sending Americans back into space with the United States rockets. Uh, Elon Musk heavily featured here on uh, this documentary uh, and there was a quote that really stood out to me um, when you're talking about the space efforts. And this one of his quotes, it said, Earth is the cradle of humanity, but we can't stay in the cradle forever. I really like that, and I think that says a lot to what Elon, you love him or you hate him, but what he wants to do, he wants to continue to venture out and try new things. Um, much, uh, much like the up-close and intimate personal um, engagements with the characters that we saw with Free Solo, you know, we really got to know those characters. The same way with the movie The Rescue, the same thing happens here. Uh, a lot of attention to technical detail and storytelling through cinematography, through the dialogue that's used, archival footage, and the sound design, absolutely stellar. A solid documentary for anyone who likes history, uh, space travel, or true adventure. A solid A rating for Return to Space. You can find it on Netflix. Awesome, yeah. And this is, um, you know, you said Elon Musk is involved with this. How, is he a producer or? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if he's a producer yeah. or not, but he was heavily involved in the interviews and the kind of behind-the-scenes efforts. So it's possible I'd, I have to go back to the credit sheet on that. But, uh, but those who put together Free Solo, if, if you like their work uh, and their attention to detail, I think you're going to appreciate that as well. Well, Thomas, I do want you to talk about Encanto, the Oscar winner. Right. Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about that um, before we wrap things up. Right, yeah, so I don't watch a ton of the animated media, and that's something that I'm trying to change, trying to you know, broaden my horizons there. Um, so obviously when I watch something like this, it's going to blow my mind um, just because it's, you know, the animated medium just opens up so many more possibilities that um, you, you just literally can't accomplish in live action. Um, and just the richness of the colors, um, yeah. it's... It's to a degree that just absorbs you into the world, um, and just even the way they they use this this you know fake camera within the CGI world right. within within the animated world, they they can do filmmaking techniques that look like something you would see in live action, but then they take it a step further and do different things with this virtual camera that you couldn't do with a physical camera. Right. So uh, like there was a moment within the first five minutes where they like mimicked a uh, rack focus camera um, camera move and I was that at that moment I just like paused the movie and was like 
I've, I've not seen that animation before. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, and it's, it's really a beautiful coming of age story. Um, and it's about how, you know, it's okay to not be perfect all the time. Um, and the, the voice performance from uh, Stephanie Beatriz in the, the lead role as the character yeah. of Mirabelle, I believe she was actually nominated by the North Carolina Film Critics Association for, um, you know, for best, voice best voice performance. Yeah. And um, then, you know, it's also a story about acceptance and compassion and uh, about growth and learning to admit when you're wrong. And uh, it's about how, you know, in the family, there's room for everybody at the table, even when it might not seem like they fit in and that, you know, they should, there should be, they, you should work to accept somebody despite their differences. And I just think that's really a beautiful thing. Animation, really strong animation, not the, the technical aspects of it itself, but the stories. You know, over the years we've seen, and Pixar's really owned this in so many of their films by creating stories that can uh, appeal at a different level to adults, to young adults, and even kids. And whenever you're able to hit all three within that and, and speak to them in different ways, it's pretty amazing. And uh, the, the, thematically, this one does that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, um, one of my professors at school, she has daughters who are leaning at five or six, and she's talking about how they're absolutely obsessed with Encanto, and then, you know, here I am, a 22-year-old who's a big fan of it, and uh, then, you know, a lot of a lot of adults from last year, film critics in their yeah. 40s and 50s, it was one of their favorite, favorites from last year, so it can hit, you know, all three, you know, all, all age categories, the entire spectrum, and uh, that's just testament to uh, the power of uh, animated storytelling. And, and you, there was a time when you absolutely loved animation, it was when you were younger. Uh, would you say maybe the past five years that you have not watched as much animation? Yeah, I would say so. And I think part of that is because, you know, when I was younger, it was mostly the kids' genres that I, you know, right. quote, kids' genres. Yeah. And uh, ones that were aimed toward a younger genre, or excuse me, younger audience. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I was trying to introduce myself to more mature filmmaking, you know, I started going to the Scorsese's, the Tarantino's, the, <laughs> the Coppola's. Right. Um, but then, you know, then once you hit a certain point, you realize that, you know, filmmaking, you know, what, what may be technically defined as like filmmaking aimed toward younger audiences, can reach any audience. Right, if good, it's, good filmmaking yeah, is good yeah, filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's why I am trying to go back and um, reintroduce myself to some of these animated films through a different lens from everything that I've learned about filmmaking from the past few years as I've kind of grown and matured. Yeah, so. one of the past couple of years, one of my favorite films was the animated film Soul. Yeah. And it, it spoke on so many different levels and, and still uh, it's one of those films that I can go back and watch and, you know, uh, my eyeballs can sweat because there are touching moments uh, in, that, in that particular film. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend uh, checking out Soul. Uh, well, next week, I want to let you know, going to give you a tease. Uh, we're going to uh, review a new film that it's got, got some top billing for a guy named Mel Gibson, even though he may not be the star in it. It's called The Agent Game. Um, we're going to review that. Jason Isaac's also in that. Uh, also, we're going to review a film a documentary called Cow that you can check out as well. And uh, stay tuned for a future episode. I think we might do an, a complete focus on Bruce Willis. Uh, you know, we may not be seeing him acting. Uh, he has officially retired from acting, but there are going to be some other films that he's got in the can that we're going to see. But I think we're going to go back and, and kind of celebrate some of our favorite uh, Bruce Willis moments. Uh, as well. I will wrap things up right here on Meet Me at the Movies. 
with a, a film quote of the week. This comes from Robert Altman. Uh, filmmaking is a chance to live many lifetimes. Really love that. Uh, Thomas, any any thoughts about what you want to check out next week that you want to review? Uh, yeah, going to try to check out uh, Ambulance, the new Michael Bay film. Uh, also, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is from the same directors as uh, Swiss Army Man. Uh, All right. So, yeah, multiverse, uh, crazy, uh, outside-of-the-box sci-fi movie with Michelle Yeoh. So, looking forward to that one. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us, Greg Tillman. Thanks for uh, keeping us on track and staying awake for most of the show. We really do appreciate that. Uh, and for our viewers out there, if you ever have uh, questions or comments, send them to us, uh, info at c19.tv, uh, and from c19tv, and for WGWG, if you're listening to the radio and the podcast version, we appreciate you. Nolte uh, Manning II, for Thomas Manning, and all of us here, that's a wrap. Woo! Many films to view. Until we meet again Next time we see you We'll gladly fill you in We'll tell about the happy and the sad ones We'll talk about the good ones and the bad ones Many films to view Till we meet again